In a world full of distractions, there is one big question on every dog owner's lips. How do I become more than just the person holding the other end of the leash? We all get dogs of a dream in mind, a vision of the future. And if right now your everyday reality isn't quite that picture you had in mind, you are in the right place. It really doesn't have to be this way. You absolutely can and will be more to your dog than just the person who gets in between them and the world. The key is you need to be more sexy. More sexy than the neighbourhood cats. More sexy than the jogger in the park. More sexy than that half-eaten hamburger they just found on the floor. And yes, even more sexy than the dog across the road. I'm Tom. And I'm Lauren. Together Together we're we're Absolute Dogs. Dogs. And you're listening to the Sexier Than a Squirrel podcast. And welcome to the Sex and Squirrel podcast, the podcast that gives you real life dog training and sometimes human training results. I'm sat in the kitchen. I have the lovely Tokyo next to me. He is uh, currently uh, healing from a bit of a shoulder uh, craziness. You went running into a dog walk, didn't you? And now you're paying for it. And I'm also joined by the wonderful Natalie Rogers. Uh, and Natalie, this is our second time chatting together. You're a superstar pro dog trainer. You're an amazing professional geek. And I love that you're bringing your amazing energy here to the podcast. It's wonderful to get to chat to you again. And um, I know we're going to chat uh, about so many fun things, including obviously deaf dogs. So I suppose Can you tell a little more about living your passion as a deaf dog advocate and trainer? Tell everybody that's listening a quick recap and probably a little bit more in depth where you want to, um, I suppose, yeah, living your passion um, in this area. Absolutely. Firstly, thank you again for inviting me back. It's I feel so blessed to to have this opportunity. It's so great. So, yes, I am a professional nerd. What that basically means, I'm a full-time academic, so I teach university students um, about how the brain works, about mental illness, um, about the neuroscience of behaviour and how those things uh, relate. So what we actually observe and then what's actually going on under the hood, so to speak. So that's my, my, one of my lives. My second life, as you can see behind me is dog training. Um, and I have the the privilege of being able to take the stuff, the textbook stuff and actually implement it on the ground with real life people. And that is just so rewarding. Um, and I really do have absolute dogs to thank for the opportunity to do that. Um, as corny and cliche as that sounds, but you guys really gave me the um, the the springboard to go and do this, and the belief that this is you take the passion, run with it. Lauren, your book was transformational for my life. That it like literally a step by step guide to how to start a dog business. Um, yeah, it was beautiful. Really, I love really, that. Really, I love that. And and I suppose. Uh, that was like transformation. That was the start of it. But you've got a real passion for deaf dogs in particular. And mm. it's nice because it gives you a great niche. Um, yes. And it gives you something that not everybody is able to talk about. Like, I feel that because you've had that position and you've had that um, sort of opportunity, if we look at it in that way. Um, yeah, like this is this is where it's um sort of led you now we were just chatting a minute ago and i was saying oh let's see where the questions lead us but actually i think i think this question would be great um we play games so here yes. at Absolute dogs we play games now 
I know that I haven't ever had a deaf dog. And as much as um, I love training dogs, I love training concepts, I love training things like this, which is calmness and um, even in the face of distraction, whatever else is going on. Vital, vital skill. Yeah, like literally for me, it makes a huge difference. When we're thinking, and for me, I train, I suppose if I was to look at my specialisms, sports dogs, puppies, motivation, like those are some of my favourite things, relationship. Now, obviously one of your specialisms will be deaf dogs. Um, what would be some of the games that you might um, specifically think are really, really key? And what sort of adaptations might you make to games, knowing that deaf dogs are not only what you have owned and own, but equally knowing that a lot of clients with deaf dogs might look towards you for, for help in this sort of niche yeah. area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really like to keep it simple, as simple as we can. Um, basically, the three big concepts that deaf dogs need, number one, proximity because we put so much responsibility on deaf dogs. We spoke about this a little bit um, last time. Because we cannot verbally call our dogs, we need to rely on our deaf dogs looking to us for direction or making great choices all on their own. So we want to set up proximity games where the check-in and orientation specifically is highly reinforced we've got a really long reinforcement history of the dog looking to us and wonderful things happening so things like um orientation game I've given that to a given that game specifically to a deaf dog family that I worked with last week um and they're even getting the kids playing under supervision adult supervision but just a simple game of tossing a piece of food out the dog looks at you and instead of saying yes we just do a thumbs up. Um, so deaf dog looks at you, thumbs up, great. Next piece of food out. Dog looks at you, thumbs up. Next piece of food out, thumbs up. And that repetition is a really great way to build that really strong check-in and that strong reinforcement history that when I look at my person, fantastic things happen. Um, so, yeah, orientation game is an absolute foundation. Um, where where we might use, say, an attention noise to interrupt behaviour, to get our dog's attention. Um, we obviously can't use an attention noise with, with deaf dogs. Um, if a dog is hard of hearing, so if they have some level of hearing, you might be able to clap or make some noise, but for, for, for most deaf dogs or hard of hearing dogs, I ditch the auditory cues altogether. We're going to go tactile. We're going to go um, visual cues just to make it really simple. Um, so a tactile cue, what we do is very lightly double tap on either the shoulder or on the hip, just tap, tap. And as the dog orients to us, again, thumbs up, feet. Or you could go thumbs up, let's break into another game. Thumbs up, tug toy. Thumbs up, frisbee. Thumbs up, whip it. Thumbs up. <laughs> so the, the 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 game that you break into is less important than I orient to my person when I feel this cue and fantastic things happen. So again, rewarding the check-in, rewarding if I feel sudden touch, that makes great things happen. We were speaking last time about deaf dogs being startled and it does happen. So again, we need to proactively teach these skills of touch, 
makes great things happen. There's no reason to feel um, upset or nervous about, oh, I wasn't expecting that touch. We want to develop that positive conditioned emotional response to sudden touch, tap, tap, like you're tapping someone, a friend on the shoulder, tap, tap, turn around, yay, hey, how you going? Um, And then we have a great conversation. So, yeah, they're, they're two of just two of the proximity games that I absolutely love and go to all the time. And have you ever had, um, because obviously, like, I, if you said to me, have you had a difficult dog to train? Like, I've had some really difficult dogs. I was training only last week a really difficult husky. And I do mean it was difficult because reinforcement was hard. Like, the dog mm. just wasn't really, um, Skinner obviously says trainability is susceptibility to reinforcement. You know yes. what, wasn't that susceptible to reinforcement? And so therefore trainability, you know what, is harder. Um, that mm. dog was a hunter um, and he knew what he wanted to go do and it was hard to kind of get the message in there. Um, have you ever had any deaf dogs that are particularly hard to train and how have you overcome it? So it's funny because when we're talking about difficult to train, the deafness is less important than susceptibility to reinforcement. That is key. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is one of the one of the real myths that if I could do anything in my life, it would be to bust the myth that deaf dogs are difficult to train. The deafness does not make them difficult to train. Same with blind dogs. The, the difference in their sensory abilities does not create the difficulty. The difficulty lies in going, what lights you up? So for my two dogs, I have one deaf dog and one hearing dog. My deaf dog is much easier to train than my hearing dog simply because he is so susceptible to reinforcement. I can use food. I can play magic hand with kibble out and about. And so long as there's movement, he's all there. Tug, Frisbee, we, it it was funny taking him to um, the beginner agility classes. He was a lot more talented than a lot of the Border Collies there because he was so susceptible to reinforcement. Offer him a tug toy and being a boxer, like really wrestling with him, a little bit like uh, I remember the footage of Brave doing the bite work. Yeah, yeah. Type of play that lights him up. And if that's on offer, he'll do handstands for you. Whereas my hearing dog, much more sensitive. Yes, he's very foodie, but one of his strongest reinforcers is seeing visitors. And honestly, if if I had the ability to harness visitors and do some great behavior, and then you get access to a visitor, that would be one of his strongest behaviors. Like put the visitors in a squeezy tube. You know what? That's kind of what you're looking at. Much. Yeah. And I, I, I really agree, Natalie, like, susceptibility to reinforcement is number number one like I know that Blink whether she could hear or um whether she had sight or whatever she's just a really trainable dog so everything about her is really trainable whereas a dog like Classic is much more um remote like she's she's like a little bit further out there and she's definitely not as um just a different dog to reign and work with. And um, I agree, it's 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 huge. So I suppose there's a really important question here, and I'm sure all of our absolute dog listeners are going to want to hear this. They're going to love hearing this and they're going to be ready to hear this. 
Can deaf dogs be trained through games-based learning, do you believe? Did you just give me a marker? Did you give me a marker? Was that like a, yeah, Lauren, I give you a marker. Thumbs up. Have you got a piece of chocolate near you? Because that I'm ready. I'm ready. So, yes. And I actually, the more that I dive into games-based training, the more that I realise it is the ideal way to um it's not just okay for deaf dogs it is the ideal way to train deaf dogs because we're again training in concepts rather than individual isolated little behaviors that may not necessarily transfer over to different situations um from the neuroscience background I've really learned that in order to create really, really strong, reliable behaviour in multiple contexts, we need to train from the get-go in lots of different analogous situations, which is exactly what we do in games-based training. So we say, we're, again, go, we'll go back to the, the orientation um, idea. We really want nice, strong orientation, nice, strong check-ins with our dev dogs. So what are we going to do? We're going to think about all the different games that we can play that would have some element of orientation. So what could that be? That could be disengagement pattern, one piece of food out as the dog orients to us, feed, feed, well, thumbs up, feed, 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 walking in the other direction. We could play orientation game. We could play the weather games, which again is going to be played in virtually the same way as orientation game. Um, and what I found with deaf dogs, with the weather game specifically, the marker is less important than the, the repetition in the pattern and the variation in the pattern. Um, yeah, so we're going to, from the get-go, think about different ways to teach the same concept. And so we're not just going single behaviour, and we're going to train it in the kitchen. Then we're going to train it in the laundry. Then we're going to train it in the yard. Then we're going to go to the park. And it's all the same, but the context is different. We're going to, right from the get-go, teach these behaviours in lots of different contexts and the picture is going to look slightly different. And what that does is then build not just strong behaviour in lots of different contexts, but in if we think of entire pictures where there are subtle differences in what the dog, the, the stimuli that the dog's being exposed to, our behaviours are still nice and strong. Um, that's a slightly convoluted way to answer that no, question. Absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. And I suppose, I mean, I'm, I'm in the middle of doing some cooperative care with Tokyo, who's down here. Yeah. Um, and I've been doing that most of the last few days. He's had a shoulder surgery or not a shoulder surgery, a shoulder um, joint injection, which is a stem cell. So he's had stem cell in the mm. shoulder. Um, and that's something I haven't done before um, into a joint. And so for me, that was like a new level of, 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 of care from the point of anaesthetic through to the point of aftercare, through to seeing him lame, which he went in sound and he came out lame, which for me is horrible uh, because you feel like you've done a bad job by your dog. Um, so I suppose cooperative care, how important and how maybe different um, is it when you have a deaf dog? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you've asked about this, as well as deaf dogs. Cooperative care is my passion. Um, and I suppose the big thing with deaf dogs is we can't use our voice to verbally reassure them. And it's amazing having that not available to us does make a big difference. And it's a weird one, Natalie, on that. And I think it's an important one. Like I was the whole time through, uh, Tokyo is quite a sensitive dog. It's brilliant yes. dog. Probably one of my all-time most emotionally intelligent dogs. Like I really, very emotionally intelligent dog. And um, the whole time throughout, like anesthetizing him and, and shaving his leg and shaving his shoulder and everything else, I talked to him. But interestingly, I think even if he was deaf, I would still talk to him. And yes. the reason I still talk to him is I think that my gesturing and my body language yes. and all of the things that I do would would have some level of, and I get that he wouldn't hear me and I get that I'd lack that bit. But I think the thing that I think a lot of people, when I watch them, because they're not talking to their dog because they don't think their dog can hear or they know their dog can't hear, especially if they've been tested as, as a non-hearing dog, they lose a lot of their other um, <laughs> communication by not talking. And even if your dog can't hear you, I still feel there's a massive place in going through all of the talking anyway. And, and because you can actually utilise a lot of you when you're doing that. Yeah, and I would 100% agree. Um, from regular training of like talk to your dog, even if they can't hear, because it's going to make your gestures more authentic. Um, mm -hmm. It's going to keep, if we talk about like um, training and then like real life, if we're like I am a robot during a training session and then in real life, I am my relaxed, bubbly self. The dog's going to be like, what? <laughs> this is crazy. This lady. <laughs> so if we can bring our authentic self to our training sessions, it's going to make it much more seamless when we're trying to carry these skills over into everyday life. Same with cooperative care and reassurance. When um, Havoc went through a cancer journey last year so <laughs> he ended up having I think it was seven surgeries altogether something like that um surely not surely not that many anyway he had a lot um ended up with massive infections and yeah had to get revision surgeries every three times a week he had to be sedated because for 40 minutes they had to change the bandage that was from the tip of his toes up to his shoulder so get yeah, three times a week under sedation and before all of this, he was petrified of the vet. So we had to work through cooperative care. Um, so he wouldn't be a risk. So literally he was a bite risk at the vet. Um, and as a just, just what you're talk, talking on here though, Natalie, I think it's really, really useful. Just give us some of the examples of the cooperative care that you went through. I'm going um in tomorrow with um Tokyo again. Uh they've got an option whether they sedate him to do shockwave therapy to the shoulder or whether they keep him there live and awake. And for me, that's real like um, ethical dilemma because I think that awake is 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 often better, but behaviorally asleep might be better for him. And and it's a hard one because it's just ten minutes of care, right? Like it's ten minutes, ten minutes of doing that to your shoulder with with the shockwave machine. Um, and it's an interesting one. So yeah, tell us where you are with cooperative care and and what some some of the skills you might teach. Yeah, sure. Um, so. With cooperative care, we want to teach some sort of behaviour that the dog does to tell us to start. 
So um, I know in um, Games Club we've got the uh, start buttons and that's a, a really great video if anyone's looking to get started with with start buttons. So we want to teach um, a behaviour and the behaviour itself could be anything. Um, some of the ones that I use are a chin rest for, say, injections. So if the dog does a chin rest, then I can quite easily then reach over um, the dog's head to the scruff, they can get an injection. Um, another way that you could use a chin rest is say chin rest on a chair. And while the dog has their chin on the chair, the vet can then give them a, a feel all over um, and possibly do other stuff, move limbs. Um, we've had our rehab vet do that with, with my boys. It's, yeah, really beautiful. Um, some other ones, reaching a paw for nail trimming, Um so I don't, I do not take the clippers or the Dremel to my dog. I wait for them to approach me. Um, it's a way of them saying, I know what's about to happen and I'm choosing to opt into this. And what's really cool is that we play these games with deaf dogs in exactly the same way that we play with hearing dogs. And I've always said that cooperative care, a great way to think about it is a giant game of DMT. So whether you're doing it with a hearing dog or a deaf dog, when they do the behaviour, that's when we create the distraction. So they reach their paw, we then create some level of distraction, whether it be I'm going to wrap my thumb around your paw and that would be a great beginner behaviour. And the moment that our thumb touches their paw, we mark that event with the other hand, we'll do thumbs up and then feed a treat. Um, and yeah, so in that sense, cooperative care with a deaf dog is very, very, very similar to, um, to a hearing dog. Yeah. And, and you work on cooperative care, how frequently? Pretty much daily in some level. Um, because I was in a situation or Havoc and I were in a situation where, I could see the the straight desensitization like that. I'm going to touch your paws and you're going to get used to it. Like the stuff that everyone tells you you're supposed to do with puppies. Mm. That was not working. That was, and the, I'll just do it and get it over and done with. That was making him very, very, very uncomfortable to the point where once he hit adolescence, he was using aggressive behaviours to keep vet people away. And that was devastating and all the shame that comes along with that as well as a trainer. Um, and I've totally lost my train of thought. Can you repeat the question? Basically, um, he'd got to the point where he was showing aggressive behaviours rather than um, rather than being able to um, offer you something. So I suppose, how often do you practice? How often yes. do you utilise them? And you kind of needed to very frequently because of his cancer, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so thank you for reminding me. Um, so when we were in the situation of, I need to get this done, but you don't have the skills, there was a, some incredibly traumatic vet visits. And after I had been in tears in the vet clinic one too many times and there were things happening to him in ways that I really wasn't comfortable with, but I hadn't found my voice yet, um, I made a silent promise to him that I am never going to put you through that again. But in order for me to be able to keep that promise, we needed to do some training and we needed to train for the situation. So 
teaching him that process, particularly of how to voluntarily opt in to a sedative injection. Once I had that, I knew that I didn't need to be afraid anymore because we could go into that, like any situation then, vet clinic wise, we could go in and have his full leg bandage change. And there wasn't an issue because I knew that I had prepared him enough for this situation. Um, he knew the, the procedure that was about to happen. He was able to consent to it. And because, because he had the control whether to opt in or not, he was no longer afraid. If you think of I'm not too fond of spiders or crocodiles, <laughs> but if I was given $10 every time I saw a spider and I had the choice about whether to see that spider or approach that spider or to back away, I then have the control. So not only is there a really great outcome, but because I am in complete control of the situation, I'm no longer afraid of them. It's not like I think, someone. I, I think it's a great um, example. Like for me, I, the main reason I wasn't a vet actually, Natalie, is I didn't, um, I fainted every time I saw needles. So as a, as a child, like a 10 year old, 11 year old, nine year old, I remember taking my, my, well, my nan had two kittens and I remember taking them to the vets and we went into the vets and I fainted when they gave them the vaccinations and I was just cold, like gone. And my nan was like, she's gone. Like, and so I kind of lived that story for a long time, but it's an interesting one because I consent to having my own blood taken, but I I consent. I give my arm. I like mm. getting the results. I like the outcome of bloods. I like the understanding of your body. I like understanding and seeing how everything works. And for me, that's rewarding enough to give the consent to have it done. So I I, I think that it, and and yet it's something I don't like. I I don't like the needles. I don't like seeing blood. I don't seem like like seeing blood being drawn. So it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's a very interesting concept. Yeah. And it's. It's interesting as well because I don't know how I, I I live cooperative care. Now that now that I know that if I don't keep on top of it, then I could be in a situation where I have a dog with a bite risk. Um, and I don't want to be in that situation again. So I need to keep on top of it. Um, but even with regular practice, I'm not sure to what degree I could say get a positive conditioned emotional response with a sharp meat like that is not a realistic expectation I don't think with most animals for like it would be very unusual for an animal to go yay I'm about to get jabbed with a needle but just like if we can get to the stage where it's like I know what's going to happen and it's okay I'm not loving it but it's okay. Um, and I know that as in if if I'm the dog, the dog would say, I know what's about to happen. Um, and the discomfort that I'm going to experience, I have control of it. I know it's going to be temporary. I know it's not going to be too bad. Um, yeah. And I know there's going to be a great outcome afterwards. Yeah, for sure. And I, no, I think that's all great. I think that's a it's a great way of looking at it. And especially after having gone through many experiences with vets over the last um, two years. 
just many. Um, yeah. I think it's a nice way to, to look at things. And I think cooperative care is definitely something we can go into some more detail with again um, in the near future. And we can really think on how we can best prepare our dogs. It's funny, actually. We were working on, well, just, just today, um, Tom and I were filming for Games Club. Um, we had about 15 students here at Bowerland. Uh, an interesting day because it was like raining, sunny, raining, sunny, raining, sunny. Tom and I were like in, out, in, out, shake it all about. Literally, it was a bit of a chaos day. Um, we had raincoats and then we had sun hats and like it was <laughs> those days. Um, but we were working on a chin target, actually. Uh, and oh, we were on a chin target. And um, we were getting to the stage where the dog's like really like, I am here on the Excellent. chin target. I love that stage where they're like, lady, yeah. you feel my chin. Um, yeah. Like a real definite stillness. Yes. Funny, I, was working, uh, I was working with a client last week and we finally got to that stage where she presented, deaf dog, presented her hand. The dog's like, is this what you want? It was like, yes! great win. <laughs> See the pennies dropped. Love it's it. A great, it's a great win. Um, it's, it's a nice win. And I suppose, and this isn't really a question because this is an answer, but, but I know you'll agree with it. This is something we work on today. This is not something we work mm. on when we need it this is something we work on before we need it and if you already do need it then you work on it now too but this is something we prepare in advance right absolutely absolutely and um i've spoken quite often about havoc's journey and because he was he was a naughty but nice adolescent shh don't tell anyone that day-to-day firefighting trying to get him a decent level of sleep and so he wasn't tearing the house down and he wasn't barking at everything and he wasn't playing rough with my other dog like that they were the things that were consuming us during adolescence and so cooperative care was I knew he was struggling at the vet but it was like okay I'll just put that's future me's problem yeah probably one of the worst choices that I had done to go oh I'll deal with that later I should have made a little bit of time to work on it each and every day. And what was really <laughs> ironic is that when we actually did start working on things like coffee beer drop, my sessions were 30 seconds long, no more than three minutes. So- and, and that is the thing, isn't it? Like we we sometimes just need a reminder as to like crack on, like what are you waiting for now is the time. So if we had a puppy, like let's work on this today, like let's work mm. on it. Um, before we we ever need to. Um, now I, I'm sort of changing gear a little. Some listeners are probably sat here wondering, like um, we're talking about deaf dogs, you're talking about cooperative care. I bet there's some people out there thinking, I wonder if my dog's deaf. And I'm going to tell you a funny story. Uh-huh. I remember I was um, looking after a dog, and I was training a dog for um, it's a long time ago. It was for dogs with um, dog, dogs for owners with PTSD. And I was working with this little dog. They'd asked me to assess this little dog. And I just thought, this dog is deaf. Like, I, I just don't feel confident about this dog's ability to hear me. Anyway, I took her along to the vet. And the, the, deaf, the, the, the test here, and I don't know if it's the same for you, but the test here is, it's actually quite an invasive test. Um, and they agreed with me. They thought the dog wasn't necessarily completely hearing correctly um, in terms of her behavior and how she was. So anyway, they did all the tests and they they ran through everything. And the test is quite invasive. And if the dog was particularly movie or busy or fast or wouldn't sit still, they would have to sedate. So they did have to sedate this dog um, to be able to test correctly. But no, she was not deaf. 
we decided we di- we diagnosed her with uh, ignorance. No, we didn't say that. <laughs> we diagnosed her with definitely needed more and um, more input, training, and lifestyle and work. She was only with um, us for assessment. Um, but for me, there was something not quite quite there. And and actually, it was interesting. She she was not deaf, and so um, she was her hearing was perfect in both ears. Um, but that's the that's the test and the standard over here. Is it the same for you? Yes, yes. So the Bayer test is basically the gold standard for any animal, really, um, us in, us included. Um, for does the um, does the cochlear and all of the the wiring inside work? Of course, it, us humans can have things like the the click tests where we can verbally say yes I can hear that or no I can't hear that um but yeah that those sorts of tests don't really um exist for for dogs they're not very yeah, reliable dog pressing the button got it they have done something similar where it's like mm-hmm. it's cue and behavior but it's if you don't get a response it's like did the dog not hear it or yes the baby this is why they do the the bayer test but yeah it is really invasive it's um it can be really expensive for i live in remote far north queensland so if anybody knows where um port douglas is we're up right at the top of australia near the daintree rainforest i can literally see the daintree from my house so we're in the middle of nowhere um so i i wouldn't know where the nearest bayer test could be done it possibly may be townsville which is a five and a half hour drive from us so if that was the only way that we could test for deafness i would be stuffed like this <laughs> i would not be able to do that so i think that you're leading with the que- to the to question of how do we tell if a dog is deaf, if we do not have access to a Bayer test or if a Bayer test is not appropriate for this dog. Um, I do know some quite a few deaf dog experts who are like, yeah, I'm not going to, we're not going to put a dog through that. Because like this dog that you were working with, if a dog is behaving as if they were deaf, then it may be better to simply adapt the way that we're training to meet that dog's needs and to meet if they're not paying attention to sound for whatever reason then perhaps they're going to pay more attention to a visual cue or a tactile cue or a scent cue or something let's change what we're doing to meet the dog where they're at let's it's an interesting one Natalie because I do think we need to acknowledge it I my hearing my left is very poor and actually it's very important I think you acknowledge some level of I suppose, effectively a disability, because then you can meet the dog with where they're at or you can meet the person. Because when I can't hear, it can very quickly become frustrating or you can find yourself getting annoyed with yourself. Like, for God's sake, why can't I hear that? Or I just need to position myself differently or I need to often position myself where I can see someone's mouth so that I can lip read a little. And I don't always realise I'm lip reading, but I am a little. Um, And I've been told I do need a hearing aid, which I really don't want to use because you just don't. Like, it's just, it's like in your way. And I'm like, get out of my way. (laughs) Um, And sometimes you're just getting in your own way. But I actually do think it's really (laughs) important to acknowledge um, you acknowledge that um, that hearing 
um, deficit does potentially cause you another struggle. And so whether that's your dog or yourself, I think being able to meet them where they are with what they need, I think is important. So I do think it's important we acknowledge, number one, is there a hearing struggle or do we perceive maybe a hearing struggle? And then how can we adapt what we're doing to help with that? Because for me, if I can visually see someone, if I'm closer or if there's not so much background noise, I'm much happier. So those yeah. three things make a difference um, to me. I can't hear the low tones. Um, I'm, I'm okay with a high pitch. Um, but it's the low tones. It's unusual because that's the opposite of what normally happens in dogs with hearing loss. Quite often the higher pitch is lost first. Um, this is if we're talking age-related hearing loss. Um, the higher pitch tones are often lost first, which is why a female owner probably won't get the same responsiveness as a male yeah. owner because of kind of voice. Um, and so there's often the, he's not listening to me and he, he listens to my husband, but he doesn't listen not to me. me. He doesn't this love me. No. <laughs> so, yeah, it yeah. Yeah. Interesting as well when you were talking about if we change how we do things, um, then the struggles reduce or are not there anymore. And it's interesting, the the social definition of disability. Basically, if, if my social environment is set up to accommodate my differences, then I am no longer disabled. There's That's one approach to... Re-enabled. Yeah. Um, and that's always the way that um, I have seen deafness in dogs that if we can adjust what we are doing to meet them where they're at then their ability yeah. is no different to a hearing dog I do not see my deaf dog as less abled than my my hearing dog like I and that's, do and that's how you've set up and I think that's really important to acknowledge yeah. that actually your setup and your um, way forward for your dog um, and, and obviously havoc in this case that makes a a big yeah makes a big difference yeah and he gets a much better quality of life we do agility together so we we do yeah he's concerned it's, he is concerned he's like he's taking me yeah, on all right, like, you know, my 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 deaf boxer is not about to take championship ready. level He's ready. He's ready. <laughs> this is really cool though, right? Like, so he's sat on a on a um a therapeutic bed. But the cool thing is he's, him twitching. he's twitching away and he's chosen to put his shoulder that he's had the stem cell in against the bed. And I do think there's I, I love watching dogs, how they choose, and I love watching how the games that we we play can really enable stuff like this. Like that for me is massive. That I he, love He's enabled to sort of be treated while we're sat here and, and enjoying the fun of, of a podcast. Now, Natalie, we could talk all night and I definitely could. <laughs> um, and for some people, this is morning. For some people, this is afternoon. For me, this is nighttime. Uh, and so um, I love chatting. I just had my morning coffee. <laughs> oh, you're great. You're great. And um, I'm jealous of the, the morning. I love the morning. The morning is my favorite time and just never in the house. Um, but I really thank you for for joining us. And I suppose let's definitely do something um, soon. I know our listeners would love to on cooperative care. And let's go a bit deeper on cooperative care, because I do believe that for me, after the experience I had last week at the vets, I've had such good experiences. And then last week he was really like got at with the shockwave therapy. And he he was just he was just approached too quickly for him. And 
he did not, I did not have his permission and he was not happy about the scenario and he was, he didn't do anything mean. He's not that dog. He's, he's a very scaredy dog. So he just kind of flattened himself like a pancake to the floor, but in the same way as say, have been just as confronting. Yeah. He, he, he didn't give permission. Right. Like, and, and you don't know what comes next from that. Um, to the point of salivating, not wanting to go in the vehicle. Um, all of those things can come next from this and I'm quite aware of it. And yet I also know this is a really amenable, sweet dog who's sat on his bed, twitching away, um, and is a very, very genuine little dog. Um, and I think so many people are out there with these dogs. So let's chat next time on cooperative care, uh, because I know that Havoc's, well, Havoc's a rock star at it and, and it's one of your superpowers. Um, and it's definitely something that I think so many people all over the world um, need. So I appreciate it hugely. And I know that everyone's going to love um, chatting a bit more on, on deaf dogs. And I also know that everyone is going to love uh, the fact that um, we get to do some more of this. Are you game for that? Absolutely. Absolutely. That rocks my world. Yeah. So that was this episode of the Sex in the Squirrel podcast. Join us for the next episode where we literally can't wait to dive deeper. And of course, Natalie will be back and she'll be back talking cooperative care. And I can't wait to have her. In the meantime, guys, stay awesome. Stay super. Stay really, really, really cool. And most of all, stay sexy. She's got it. Hey, before you go, have you taken part in the worldwide Sexier Than a Squirrel Challenge? It's a 25-day online video program, huge energy, amazing community, and over 100,000 people are already taking part. The only question is, you know where you are today. Where do you want to be in 25 days from now? Head to absolutedogs.me forward slash sexy.